Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Bear McCreary for the new Child's Play film. And yes, that's film. We're not going to do much game talking here today. Uh, And that's because here at Level, we've been fans of Bear's music in film, TV, and games since the 2004 reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Loved his music uh, for that show. Loved his music for the game Dark Void. Love his music that he's still doing for The Walking Dead. And his music for 2018's God of War is brilliant. So, yeah, I didn't want to pass up the opportunity to talk with him about his newest score, which is for the reboot of Child's Play. Don't know if you remember that terrifying film from the 80s featuring a murderous dog. One of the things that I've had the opportunity to do several times now in my career is reinvent music from an old franchise as part of a reboot or reimagining or continuation. I mean, any variation of this idea at some point in the last 15 years I've tackled, whether it's (laughs) completely rebuilding Battlestar Galactica from the ground up, Mm -hmm. continuing James Cameron's uh, Terminator films with Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, mm-hmm. um, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Child's Play was the most recent. And every one of these, the reason I list them is is not to list my credits, but just to show that every instance is different. There is no rule about how to, or even whether to, integrate... Um, music from a previously existing franchise. And in the case of Child's Play, I went into it um, completely open to experiment with all of the materials at my disposal and ultimately found that the, as much as I love Joe Renzetti's score for Child's Play, especially the final cue, that the script's inclusion of this element called the Buddy Song and a song that Chucky sings, well, this just presented two tempting a musical opportunity to create something that is a theme unto itself. So ultimately, um, my references in this case were sort of spiritual right. and tonal. Exactly, um, yeah. But in fact, I didn't quote the Renzetti score at all, but in the body of the film, um, but uh, it did have a place in the, in the film, which I think eagle-eared uh, fans might have noticed. But beyond that, I, I did end up, because I love the score, original score so much i did my own version of renzetti's theme and included it on the album just hopefully communicating to fans that even though i didn't use it as the main theme of 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 our new version of child's play that uh, the tip of the hat is still there the the respect is still there
The other thing I really liked about uh, the score was kind of the closeness of it. Like, like we're all sitting in a room together playing yes. instruments. So t- tell me about that. Well, that came from this idea that um, I wanted to score the film without an orchestra and instead to use toys. This was my beginning uh, pitch to the filmmakers uh, nice. before I was even hired. Um, and um, I mean, it was almost somewhat conditional. I mean, given the uh, uh, the nature of our schedule and our and what really excited me about the film, I sort of pitched them this idea like, I would love to score this thing with toys, but if you guys really want to hear a bombastic horror orchestral score, I'm probably not the guy to do that for you because I'm so excited about this weirdo other thing. Um, And thankfully, they got excited about it too. And I had them over to my studio and I showed them a bunch of the um, instruments that I wanted to use. And we all got to pick up toys and play around with them and make little sounds. And everybody, I think, heard the potential for what it could do in the score. if it sounds like the score is in a room, it's it's because it's in my writing space, um, which isn't even like a real recording studio. It's just a creative space. 99% of what you're hearing is me playing little instruments or little toys. And intimate and personal, those are exactly the words I I would use to describe it. I, I feel like it is um, a very direct download from my brain into your ears when you listen <laughs> to it. Because it's not going through, for all intents and purposes, it's not going through any other musicians or performers, even though there are a little bit of string passages here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that makes it really quirky and personal and unique. And I... I just thought it would be fun to create music with toy instruments. I didn't realize that another byproduct was it would be so personal to me yeah. because because literally every sound is coming through either well it's coming through my body one way or the other either through my hands on an instrument or my voice my literal voice singing all these weird like creepy little girl choirs. Yeah, you're the la la fella except you don't sound <laughs> um, yeah, it's amazing. I know. And I didn't use any digital processing on my voice. I that's just my falsetto. For real, uh, that's in, hilarious. In the demo, <laughs> just, the, the director wanted to. We, we talked about bringing in um, little girl choirs, like a children's choir, and I sang all these vocal parts in the demos. And the director thought it was a children's choir, and then, <laughs> and even my producer, uh, my engineer producer, and even my friends and family, everybody I played it for, they go, "That sounds amazing." Yeah. And I kept telling everybody, "I'm going to replace it with a real." kids choir don't and then everyone looked at me like i was crazy why would i replace this thing that sounded so good and even as an experiment because i was so certain that i couldn't do this i brought in some professional singers they were young women to sing these little girl parts and they were so precise and their pitch was so clear and their range was so high and bell-like, that it actually didn't sound as weird as my own voice. Sure, sure. So that really sealed the deal. I mean, I really, I brought in a 
you know, sort of like a blind taste test. I played for some people here. Which which kids choir do you like? And hands down, everybody liked the one that was me singing <laughs> up high in my register. So as it turns out, even, you know, you want to talk about a personal score, I'm singing most of it. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, if the film scoring thing doesn't work out for you, you've got a backup. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm in for sessions for uh, uh, wannabe children's choir and hurdy gurdy Ex- soloists. Exactly. Well, and I want to talk about these instruments you used because hurdy gurdy. I mean, arguably, I guess it is a toy instrument. I, I, I suppose I never really thought of it that way, but well, I, I, I know the definition of toy to include any instrument that I could play by holding it in my hands. The turning of the crank is very toy-like. There's some guitar elements, but they're not guitars. They're plastic toy guitars and ukuleles and small little stringed things that are meant for children. So, So everything had, even if it was a legitimate instrument, it had a toy-like quality. I think no instrument uh, captures that spirit better than the automaton, which is a technically a ribbon synthesizer, okay? But it's a toy in that it looks like a music note with a smiley face down at the bottom, little Muppet eyes. And you open its mouth while you make pitches with your finger on the sort of the neck of the instrument. And it makes wah-wah sound. So I'm just barely older than you, and so we were both kids when the original came out. Um, right. I was unable to watch movies like that when I was a kid. I, I don't even handle them very well now, although I can get through it. Was was that you too? I mean, were you able to watch films like this when you were that age? Do you remember it coming out? Uh, I didn't see Child's Play itself when it came out. Um, no, I didn't see it either, obviously. You yeah, know what but... I mean? I would have been... What in '88? I would have been nine years old. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. By that age, I at nine, I was definitely um, immersed in what I consider starter horror, like Gremlins and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. These movies that created yeah. the PG-13 rating in 1984, I believe. Um, so you know, I was well on my path, <laughs> and um, I think I was. 13 or 14 when I saw Aliens, which is probably the first really violent horror film mm. I ever saw. Mm. Um, so, but, but I was aware of Child's Play. I was aware of Chucky just from all the time I spent wandering the VHS rental aisles sure. every weekend. <laughs> and there was something about Chucky that even when I hadn't seen the movie, I absorbed what he was at that time and continues to be in pop culture. I mean, really this, this icon of horror along with Freddie and Jason and uh, Leatherface. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in that way, um, I think I am, we both are of the generation for whom Chucky was the, the boogeyman in the closet, the movie that even if you hadn't seen it, you were aware of it and you yeah. were a little frightened by it and you kind of wanted to see it. Yeah, I mean, I was scared of people named Chuck because of that movie. <laughs> like, that movie yeah. screwed me up. <laughs> for sure. I mean, for sure, like, think about it that, uh, 
in, in for our generation, names like Chucky, mm-hmm. Jason, Jason, and Freddy, Freddy. were all like nightmare-inducing yep. for us. For sure, yeah. Michael Myers. I mean, and nobody all that. Yeah. their kid Leatherface, so it's right. not like you had a Leatherface out on the schoolyard. <laughs> but those other three, that can be pretty common. Hilarious. Uh, I know that you're a theme guy, uh, and so I'm just curious how you kind of developed themes throughout the film and just used them in general. I uh, love using themes in film scores. I think it's a vital tool for a composer to connect thematic ideas in the narrative with thematic ideas in the music. And this... um, forms a toolkit that a composer can use to help tell the story. It, In a sort of simplistic way, you can literally make an audience think about something that you want them to think about. So in a way, it makes music not only emotional, but it, it also adds an intellectual and plot um, power to the music. Um, and I tend to write... Uh, so I, I tend to associate themes with characters, um, um, and and especially in anything like Child's Play or the Netflix movie Rim of the World, uh, or Godzilla King of the Monsters. These three movies that came out at the same time. All three of those movies, I wrote a theme for every character in the film, um, and uh, Professor and the Madman. Actually, the fourth movie I had out at the same time. So yeah, wow, I really. Um, so in child's play, you had two main characters. And so I built the film around two themes. Um, one of them was this little boy named Andy. And, uh, he had a, a, a theme that was played on a, a kalimba, an African thumb piano and a upright piano. So it's very simple and plucky and childlike. theme, which was built around the Buddy song, was featured in the score on toy pianos, which are like the messed up version of the real piano. (laughs) Yes, they are childlike, but depending on which instruments I used, the tuning took them all over the place. So you Mm -hmm. could really buy, I think in a beautiful subliminal way, the idea that something simple and innocent has been distorted and there's something wrong with it now. Sure. Uh, There were, uh, seems like, several moments where you could really be quite beautiful and tender with your writing and, you know, like the Karen and Andy track, for instance, is so beautiful. Um, but it seems like that wasn't an anomaly. Like you got to kind of score these really tender moments more than once. So um, talk to me about that track in particular and just kind of getting to be in that place in a scary film. Absolutely. The emotional narrative of the film, especially in its first 
third uh, was what drew me to the film in the first place. Um, I actually wasn't enthusiastic about the idea of scoring another child's play film, partly because I'm a fan of the franchise and it's gone so far over the last few decades that I I didn't think I had anything to say um, in the genre. And when I saw the first 30 minutes of the new child's play, I realized it was such a different take that I, I actually did have something to say. And it was that bond between Andy and Chucky that is the foundation of the film. Unlike the first film, which is sort of an undercover spy story, it's a satanic panic story so that it sort of hit the zeitgeist yeah, of the 80s. Sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, this isn't that at all. This is about a child and a doll, an AI doll that form a genuine bond. And then because of a, you know, sort of glitch in his programming, he begins to distort how he interprets the world around him and ultimately becomes sort of like a fatal attraction meets toy story kind of story, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. I mean, yeah. it's ultimately like a, a scorned lover um, story. It's that, um, and, and that's really cool. You know, um, in order for that to work, you have to believe that Chucky and Andy have a genuine bond. And that's where the, emotional music in the, in, in the Karen and Andy track and especially um, A New Friend. That's where that hit home. I mean, I'm not being ironic. I'm not being... Uh, satirical. I'm right. being very emotional and warm and genuine. And mm-hmm. that's why the notion of using the buddy song as the theme for the film, the theme for the score, the theme for Chucky, that's why that was so powerful because it it had to be a melody that could be genuinely warm. And it begins with the Karen and Andy track, but it, it climaxes at the end of A New Friend, which is the end of a sort of montage where Chucky's playing a D and D role playing game or whatever with Andy, and they really are friends. They really are. And Lars Klevberg, um, the director, the director, yes. Uh, the, I was so impressed with how he built the sequence where he had the courage to get rid of the dialogue there, and he carved out a space for the score to mm-hmm. underline that these two characters now have a bond. And and in fact, it was that moment as I was watching the first cut of the film when it got to that moment i knew i had to score this movie because i realized i was i would be working with a filmmaker who really understood what music could bring to the story yeah well we've talked you've mentioned it enough times now we've got to talk about the buddy song because talk about child's play without it yeah i mean mark hamill sings it which is fantastic uh and and the production on the song is really fun too so talk to me about all of those things (laughs) Well, uh, I signed on to the film uh, before Mark was cast, so I really had no idea um, that that was coming as Mm -hmm. I started working. 
And uh, then when they cast him, uh, I got really excited about the idea of potentially writing a song that um, that he could sing. Because, Isn't of course, the, he's the voice of Chucky, right? Exactly. Yep. Mark is the voice of Chucky. And there are a number of scenes in the film where Chucky, the character, sings a little song as part of the plot. Yeah. And nice. at the absolute minimum, Mark needed to sing some little ditty that the audience could understand was a song that he liked. But I, I never liked to go for the minimum. Because <laughs> beyond that, I knew there was the potential to create a song that was actually memorable so that every time he sang it, it reinforced the melody in your brain. Then I thought for bonus points, that melody could also be in the score. That would be cool. And then I thought for the ultimate prize would be a version of the song that functions as the Caslin theme in the beginning and actually could be a standalone track that in theory could be the end of the film, the end credits. Now, this is all dependent on one thing. Yeah. An actor being able to sing the melody, right? right? Yeah. That, that, that's that's the, um, the great unknown in the scenario. So I wrote a tune that, um, that I thought was striking a balance between memorability and difficulty. Mm. Um, I, I, I really needed an, an actor who could sing some leaps... I mean, I like to have a melody that has some interesting um, intervals in it. You are my buddy until the end. More than a buddy, you're my best friend. I love you more than you will ever know. I will never let you go. And I took it in and met with Mark and worked with him for a couple hours. And then I tweaked the tune and um, ultimately realized that, you know, he would be able to sing it. He he dove right in. I mean, the fact that he was even willing to um, to be coached through it, to work on it with me, um, was an incredible experience. And I really can't say enough glowing hmm. compliments about Mark Hamill um, for putting himself in in that position where he's 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 vulnerable he's not he's not a trained singer that's probably the headline i should have started with your best buddies until the end more than just buddies we are best friends don't ever leave me please don't say goodbye i'll be yours till the day that i die we ended up with a thing that we're all really proud of mm-hmm. and excited about. And 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 to wrap up the story, all three of those amazing possibilities came to be reality. The Buddy song is in the film with the character singing it. The melody is memorable enough that I could use it in the score. The Buddy song appears not once but twice in the end credits. First as the main title sequence in an upbeat, pleasant version, and then it concludes the film in a super creepy Chucky version. So I couldn't be more pleased with how well that turned out. Yeah. Uh, Bear, just kind of thinking back over the whole of this project, um, you know, it sounds like perhaps we did talk about some of your favorite moments, but I'd like to hear more of those. If you have anything I didn't mention. Um, I think it's, it, uh, I mean, definitely the variations of the buddy song were an unexpected highlight. Um, 
mean, if, if there was no buddy song in this movie, I still would have had the time of my life playing these toy pianos and crafting all the weird toy orchestra elements. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, it's almost ridiculous how much fun I had on this movie uh, that I got to do that and I got to write a song for Mark um, and I got to sing. And, and I think really the unexpected joy uh, really was being able to sort of sing all these vocal parts and and sing backing uh, harmonies to Mark Hamill's lead vocal. That was... That's that's that that that's something you would put on your bucket list if you had the imagination to think it could ever even happen. Exactly. I mean, that's one you'd got to really be specific about. That's yeah, hilarious. Exactly. You know, for a film like this, um, a little less research intensive, I would imagine, than some of your other projects, like when you wrote God of War and did all the Nordic folk research and the Outlanders, because you did a lot of folk research for yeah. that as well. Um, yeah, that's usually a part of my process, especially with anything that involves uh, music from another part of the world. I mean, even sure. uh, even Godzilla, I did a tremendous amount of work on um, expanding upon the research I had done in Battlestar Galactica of Japanese folk music and taiko music and yep. traditional dance music and stuff like that. In the case of Child's Play, I spent almost the same amount of time in prep. I mean, you would sort of consider it R&D or, or prep, whether it is research or exploration. And in the case sure. of Child's Play, it was exploration. I brought, I went over to multiple studios and multiple sort of uh, toy stores. And, you know, I just went looking for things that make sound. And then I brought them all into my studio. <laughs> and I had to spend a good couple of weeks collecting the sounds and trying to make sense of it all. Um, so that actually, uh, the, the amount of prep time on child's play is comparable. It's just that it was rather than researching how other cultures use certain sounds, I was sort of inventing my own rules and figuring out what I would use, um, as I dove into writing. I know you're a gamer. Um, you know, usually on on the show we do talk about game music. I'm not gonna shift gears and go all the way there, but I am curious um, uh, how the two kind of inform each other when you're doing fixed media like film and TV that you you do so so well, but then you do interactive media really well too. So I'm curious how those two sides of you work together. Well, I, I think the short answer is that the, they really aren't two sides. Mm-hmm. Um, the the type of games that I am drawn to, and I also think the type of game developers that are drawn to me, are looking to tell a narrative story. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, look at God of War. I didn't approach that any differently than I would a, a movie. You have these four or five primary characters, and they each got a primary theme. And there was, in essence, a, a feature film's score in there. Uh, in terms of the cinematics. Sure. But then I also got to integrate those themes into the adaptive music 
that forms the foundation of the gameplay uh, components of the of the score. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a a difference in the way that music is implemented. There's a technical difference, but really that doesn't affect me at all. I I find that um, uh, the, the approach to generating the material, which is the hardest part, is the same. And then whether or not I'm taking that material and applying it to uh, a locked picture or I'm applying it to cinematics and then experimenting with uh, with cutscenes like it's generating the themes that are the um, that are the hardest sure. you know to, to put it another way if someone and this has literally never happened if someone reached out to me and said we want you to do the music for a sports game or like a racing game yeah. or something like a card game I would just be dumbfounded as to how to even start you know because it's like <laughs> without characters yeah like I don't I I I my musical brain is so tied to narrative. Like, if somebody said, We're, we've got a racing game and we just want a bunch of cool music from you, I, I probably wouldn't even be able to do it. That is what excites me about games is um, being able to be part of the journey of the gamer, um, the narrative journey, and and also a part of the thrill of the interactivity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool. But I think ultimately for me, it's it it's tied into a narrative, which is also the kind of you know may not surprise you to learn. Those are the kind of games I play. I mean, yeah. I don't play sports games. I play like Last of Us and. Uh, games that have an uncharted and um, games like god of war so to be able to work on a game like that was mind-blowingly cool Always a pleasure, Bear, to speak with you and always looking forward to what's next, especially with The Walking Dead. Such a huge fan of season nine music and you're just awesome. killing it. Killing it always. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs> yep. Thank you, Bear. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to episode 110 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Bear McCreary and see a playlist from this episode at patreon.com slash level. Coming up on Wednesday, the 17th of July, 2019, we are launching a new podcast project called Scores and Pours. I'll have a co-host with me. She's an expert on wine, beer, spirits, and the like. Her name is Jill Mott, and together we talk about wine or whatever she happens to have with her that day and classical music. We uh, drink whatever she brings as well, too, which is fun. So all content is going to be free, just like it is here with Level. Uh, You can find us at Scores and Pours, all one word, on Instagram and at patreon.com slash scoresandpours. 
I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media. <laughs>